Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to this special edition of VGC, the video game podcast, where we will be reviewing Final Fantasy VII Rebirth. Before you click away, there will be no spoilers, so don't worry about that. I have assembled an excellent party of heroes to go through the game, the good, the bad, and the ugly. We have Alex Donaldson from VG247 and RPG Site. We have Ed Nightingale from Eurogamer, and we have Jade King from The Gamer. Now, before we get started, I think it's good to set a baseline because some of us in this chat are Johnny RPG and some of us maybe aren't as au fait with the game. So let's go around the table. Uh, tell me your your history with Final Fantasy VII specifically and then a, a broad, a broad, and this is, I'm telling you this, Alex, before you go on a five-minute rant, a broad <laughs> overview of how you feel about the game. Alex, you start. Uh, God, yeah. Well, I guess I'm the the, the mega nerd. Um, so my background, <laughs> more broadly, is uh, I got into video games media um, through the Final Fantasy fandom. In the sense that when I was like 11, I a friend and I founded a, a Final Fantasy fan site that was about Final Fantasy Nine specifically. We sort of we were fans coming off eight, actually, not seven founded a fan site for nine in advance of its release and translated stuff coming over from Japan and stuff. And the long story short is that one thing leads to another leads to another. And, you know, ultimately by the time I was actually an adult, uh, that stuff was paying the bills. And then I started to write about games full time. And the descendant of that site is RPG site, RPG site.net, which is my, my main thing that I do most of the time. Um, and so, yeah. And so my relationship with seven is I, eight was my first one. And I then, so I played eight and then I played seven and then I got nine at launch. Nine was my favorite um, and remains my favorite. That's an extremely special game to me. Um, if slash when they remake that, they'd better do it well. Um, but uh, seven is, is, is a really deeply important game to me, despite the fact that eight was my first seven. I mean, I've got behind me, there's two signed Final Fantasy games up there. One is nine signed by... Uh, Nomura and Sakaguchi, and one is seven signed by not Nomura and Sakaguchi, uh, Uematsu and Sakaguchi, and one is seven signed by Sakaguchi, Uematsu, and Kitase. So they're the two that actually make it onto the shelf. So seven means a lot to me. Um, how did I feel about this? <laughs> in in a short sentence, God, I mean, the broad strokes is I think this is a, about the same level of quality as remake was. I think it's about the same level, I would say. But I think Remake really... I looked it up and I was like, Remake was like 87, 88 Metacritic, and I think it's a better mm. game than that. Um, I think it, it, it's... Yeah, I think it's a vastly better game than that, actually, um, despite some flaws. And I feel like this addresses a lot of the issues with Remake, but what they do is a big old kitchen sink approach, and what that does is introduce a whole new suite of problems. 
Um, and so there's some things in the game that I take a pretty significant issue with, um, but I think it's excellent. Uh, I think 90% of it is excellent, uh, but the 10% that's rough is is pretty frustrating. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for the record, though, um, with apologies to lovely friends who worked on and are in that game, I think it craps all over 16. I don't even think it's close. But I am the person who felt that 16 was like aggressive sort of 7 and out of 10-ish and uh, and sort of I felt it was a little bit overrated. And I think public opinion is turning on that pretty quick, which it always does on Final Fantasy games, to be fair. Mm. But, um, but yeah, I, I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, it's really good. It's really long, which I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit here. Yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> and there is like a laundry list of, of, of problems, some of them small, some of them significant, most of them small. But the stuff it does well is so, you know, this game got me emotionally a few times. Um, yeah. And the okay. combat still absolutely slaps. That's that's the big thing, yeah. is that combat. this is the best action-based version of ATB they've ever expressed and it continues to be. And I actually think this is so much more engaging over the course of a 50, 60, 70, 100 hour game than sort of a Devil May Cry facsimile, which we yeah. got last time. Um, I, I agree. The combat is so good. It made me want to do extremely boring things, but we will get there. Uh, Jade, your history with FF7 and your, your elevator thoughts about Rebirth. Yeah, I think I was like, one of those millions of people who played Final Fantasy VII as a kid. And it wasn't my first in the series. And it was like that influential piece of media back then that kind of informed how I feel about the genre and the series for years to come. So quite like a personal relationship with that game. And I think that makes you view Remake and Rebirth in a new light. Mm-hmm. And like, as a result, I've been in J- been into JRPGs all my life. And it's one of the big reasons I got into this line of work. But I suppose with Rebirth... Agreeing with Alex, I think it's broadly excellent in a lot of ways, but I also think it does try to do too much and it introduces a few too many like mini games and other bits of nonsense, which is weird because in a way, a lot of it is surprisingly restrained and curated and it's like storytelling and characters, but then it will go over the board so many times. But yeah. Then you're, put, you're playing football uh, as a dog against a giant chicken, then five minutes later you're in tears. Like, that's basically... Yeah, the... exactly. <laughs> it's like that all the time. Well, how many like... times in this game did the developers clearly go, you know what, we've got the assets and we're in Unreal and it's quite easy to make. Just smash that Four out. guys from Wish.com. Yeah. Rocket League <laughs> from Wish.com. And they go, you know what, let's just make it and put it in. Yeah. That's, that's what it feels like. But also, Alex said, like, I do think this is a league above 16 mainly because of what it does with the open world stuff and it's significantly less dour and like full of itself <laughs> and trying to be game of thrones like this is trying to be final fantasy 7 and it's trying to be ridiculous and it's trying to be heartfelt and i think broadly it manages that i haven't finished it yet though like and you guys have so yeah. we'll see how i feel in about five hours time finished it with yeah, not a moment to spare last night eyes falling out my head uh, I Ed, think everyone did okay. yeah pretty much that's uh, when alex uh, messaged me saying he'd finished it i had i had great hopes that i was nearly there i certainly was not um Ed, <laughs> your relationship with final fantasy 7 and your overall thoughts on rebirth so there's that sort of thing saying of the first one you play is your favorite Mm -hmm. and that is very much me seven was my first one um i actually played it on pc 
um, a couple mm, of years after yeah. it came out. I have the copy behind me on here, and it's not I'm my sorry, copy. Sorry, have you got the bo- the crazy box? The Trapezoid? No. Oh, the Eidos oh. one. That one goes for a bit nowadays. It is, it is just the discs. Uh, You've got the game, that's all that matters. And <laughs> this technically isn't mine. <laughs> because I... At school, was didn't have a PlayStation. Everyone was talking about Final Fantasy. I was like, I want to play these games. I don't have a PlayStation. And this guy at school was like, hey, I've got it on PC. Do you want to borrow it? I was like, great, would love to. And then I kind of permanently borrowed it. And mm. he, um, I think he was called Andy. And he never, he basically left the school and never came back. Andy and Robinson? Never... <laughs> <laughs> Is that why he far hates Final Fantasy well. now? <laughs> And uh, yeah, I, I never got a chance to give it back, but I kept it and, and I love it. Um, yeah. So seven is, is my favorite. It was my sort of gateway in. Eight is a very close second because it's the one I played next. Um, so I'm, I'm a big fan of the series. I loved 16. Um, I like flawed. 16. I just felt... <laughs> the highest of highs and the lowest of lows, that game, I think. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's yeah. a real... Yeah, yeah. I get that. And I think in some ways it is kind of the opposite of Rebirth. Um, I think Rebirth for me, at the moment, I'm a bit torn. And I think maybe it's because it's fresh in my mind from finishing it last night. I think it has really made me wrestle with my own protectiveness of the original and how much I really enjoy the original and seeing that in a different way. On the one hand, I'm like, oh, that's different. That's cool. And then I'm like, oh, that's different. Why have you done that? Yeah, and, <laughs> and I've sort of really wrestled with that over 60-odd hours of playing this. And I think I'm still wrestling with it now, trying to comprehend exactly where I'm going to land. Mm-hmm. There's yeah. a bit of what I've called Star Wars Syndrome, but we'll talk about that. Mm. Um, for me personally, I was someone who saw Cloud before I knew what Final Fantasy VII was. I saw a figure of him in Forbidden Planet and thought, that sword <laughs> looks fucking amazing. I want to know what that game is. But then when I realized that it was like a, it was a, a JRPG, like a turn-based thing, I was super, I was never into turn-based RPGs with the exception of Pokemon when I was younger. Like I was always, always about action games. So by the time I actually came to play Final Fantasy VII, I felt like I'd seen every bit of it through references and other things and through countdowns of the top 10 saddest moments and all that stuff. So I don't really have um, much like protection over it or much personal expectations. Like the most invested I've ever been with it was with Remake, which I got the Platinum in. Like I played that game to absolute death. Um, So I really enjoyed Rebirth. Um, Obviously there's large portions of this game that we cannot speak about and they influence our opinions of it greatly. It's just to say that we spoke about this a bit off air. It just about manages to deliver a full story as a game. If you can like hand wave away a few things, but I was playing it with someone watching me and it was so quickly, like we need to get the wiki up. Like what does this mean in relation to this? And I do wonder if by the time the third game is out, when we look back at this as like a middle chapter that does make sense, but it's it's hard to know um as a video game like a, a capital v capital g video game loved it i think the combat's brilliant it's full of like open world fluff from like the early 2010s but when the combat is good and the things you're actually doing in that fluff it works enough for me i did all that stuff i think the the characters are rock solid like these characters oh, are 
yeah unbelievably good to the point where i was doing anything just to get more wee dialogue bits out of them um i have a soft spot for the mini games they're super daft but i did all of oh, them yeah, to yeah. like the highest yep. rank just because i was a like a lot Ugh. i haven't done yet like yeah i haven't gone back to the golden saucer i've been too busy <laughs> trying to finish the bloody game <laughs> yeah like all that stuff like every time there was a piano i sat down and did that to the highest rank like i loved so much of this game's like individual pieces and kind of the episodic nature of the the, the stories in be- like in between but i feel like from minute one to minute 70 hours later if you were to write down like what actually happened to these characters it's kind of not a lot like it doesn't feel like it actually pushes things forward so much I... at all go ahead Alex. so this is actually one of my biggest criticisms of the game narratively maybe this is because you know my my degree was in this crap so i'm interested in storytelling <laughs> techniques and stuff like that but the interesting thing about remake is remake takes what is basically act one of a free act story and perfectly carves that actually into a free act story of its own. So you sort of have your act one is everything up until the, the Marker Reactor 5 stuff and then Cloud Falls and then act two comprises everything from meeting Eric up to the plate falling and then everything else after that is act three. And you see, so you even have there your dark middle chapter, the plate falls, it's horrible. You know, people have died, you've lost people, Eric's been abducted, da 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 da. And so they carve this game into this perfect and you feel a sense of resolution at the end. Now, I'm not saying that every story has to be a three-act story because it doesn't, and that's a folly anyway. Um, but what I would say is if you try to plot out what the actual act structure or story structure of this game is, I don't think I could do it. It doesn't actually have one. There isn't such a thing really in this mm. game as an inciting incident or a turning point because all that stuff happened in the first game. And so, yeah, you can argue, well, it's the it's a sequel, it's the middle act of a trilogy, but if you think about Empire Strikes Back or Two Towers or any of these things, or even like Matrix Reloaded, a less accomplished one, you still have those beats in the story. That's what makes the story tie. And that's a big issue for me where, because of the section of the game they've made, it's, yeah, it's they've, they've sort of made some but not all of Act 2 of the original game. Um, I would say Act 2 of the original game, a lot of people would say it ends at the Forgotten Capital, but I would say it arguably ends in the crater when Cloud hangs hands over the, the mm-hmm. black materia. And, yeah, I, so that's one of the elements of the story where the, the characters are really good and the writing's really good. So those things sort of carry it because Barrett is so good and Yuffie's so good and the way some of these characters interact and... Uh, the way they keep separating the party in order to let specific characters have moments alone is all so tremendously brilliant that it sort of carries it. But the moment to moment A to B to C of the story is actually kind of bad. Mm. Yeah. Um... As a result, and it's not like, it's not for want of trying, but I think it's just a, a natural conclusion of the bit of the game that this, the bit of the original narrative that this makes up. Mm. <clears throat> Yeah. I think for me, the structure of it is essentially just one long crescendo to one big point that we all know is going to happen, mm-hmm. and or does it? And that, I think, is kind of the way they've told the story is just stalling. Because you we can't all, write we that all for know, 100 hours. Yeah, but they try to. And so <laughs> I feel like it meanders a lot, and it pulls you in all these different directions to like distract you and say, oh, well, maybe we won't do what we think we're going to do. Um 
Yeah, I, I, yeah. I mean, uh, it's just that story structure thing. <laughs> Someone said to me, "What act are you in?" And I was like, "No, because you're right. Like, like, it's like as soon as you get out of Nibelheim, it's it's all that open world stuff from the original leading up to you know, and there's big moments within that, but you can't really segment them as acts as much as you can just like character stories. Like Cosmo Canyon is like. And like Coral, those are all like big moments. But yeah, like they acts. drive they drive characters, right? But yeah. like the the only like I can literally only pinpoint one cutscene where I feel like it's almost like a stakes changer cutscene to some degree, which is just the and I think it's the best cutscene in the game by a million miles, just in terms of the way it's directed, the ambience, the music, the way it builds up to the boss fight, and that is literally the last cutscene before the boss on the boat, and it's sort of this mm. great stakes setter of here's an enemy that to be honest, probably shouldn't have been in part one because that would have been even more effective, but they did crowbar it into part one because in the first, in the original game, obviously that's that's where you meet that enemy. Um, but that's the only cutscene I can think of in the whole, and it's like, yeah, because like the uh, Barrett and Dine stuff is amazing. That was really actually well made done me tear this. up and John Bentley, Same. John Eric Bentley, John Bentley, he, he's, his performance is incredible, but yeah, yeah. I also think conversely, some of the stuff in the original that maybe didn't land as much lands more here. Like when Kate Sith betrays you in the Golden Saucer with like the key card or whatever, that kind of shook me by surprise in the original because they weren't in your party for very long. But mm. in this, they kind of shift around the sequence. So when that happens and that betrayal happens, you're almost like, oh, I'm genuinely hurt now. And it, it takes all your equipment away. And I think that was a really cool way of making that feel permanent, unless they change it towards the end which i haven't gotten to yet so i think all the yeah that's the i I can't think of many beats that aren't actually better in this in a way but it's almost Mm. the way those beats coalesce actually there is one that is i think worse which is uh, and this gets into star wars syndrome um all there's a bunch of new stuff in cosmo canyon so you sort of have the stuff with red's dad from the original game which Mm. people who haven't played the original game that's a tremendously classic scene i think it's done uh, with wonderful aplomb. And again, John Eric Bentley has one little line read uh, at the very He's end so of good. that. And it's just, it's him selling another character's moment and it's beautiful. Um, but then there's <laughs> sort of a turn and it's like almost because they didn't want to mess with those events, they ma- they wait for those events to get out of the way. And then they go, right, here's all the bullshit now. No, um, the, that's here's exactly all the what I thought. His, his backstory to an to an, a key item from the original game that didn't have a backstory. And I'm like, but did it not have a backstory because it didn't need a backstory? And it's in this cave down here, which is really convenient. And that was just like... Uh, and that's, like, that's, that's the first bit of Star Wars Syndrome for me. It, it's that need to explain a lot of stuff that... Needs to fill in, in the, the gap. Just sort of, but it's to pad the time, good right? Because. Um, the other Star Wars Syndrome thing, by the way, is... I have a whole thesis in one in an article I've written about Star Wars Syndrome as it relates to this game. Katase is a huge Star Wars fan, especially. Um, but uh, it's everyone from Midgar that you sort of met in the first game that was remotely important, upping sticks and leaving Midgar so you can meet them all again, mm. which just makes the world feel tremendously small. Like, it, it, like did all the gym bros from War Market need to... That felt the most unnecessary johnny i in coast that i saw like understood and well he goes like, cool there originally in the that. first game though, yeah right? like that that's makes his sense, whole story shifting everyone else out it's like it would have been more interesting for them to introduce new characters because they do introduce some from like other games which is interesting yes. but i'd rather they 
rely on more cool original characters adding to this universe and leaning on it because they think we're scared of not having familiarity. That feels like a weak point to me. What did you guys think of the uh, of the character uh, side quest stuff in terms of how the side quests are tied to one individual character each? Did you like that? Did you not like that? Did you I miss the party did. element? I think prior to launch, I was worried it was going to be very like Bioware or The Witcher light, especially in regards to like the character affinity stuff you get. It's like, oh, your relationship has changed and this is going to lead to the date and so on. I thought that could be quite unnecessary. But a lot of those quests where you're split off with individual characters, there's some great dialogue there, even if some of the like narrative arcs you follow along them are quite predictable. Mm-hmm. It it helps those characters shine in a way they haven't before and arguably didn't in the original. And it adds depth while being true to them. It feels like rarely in games like this will I bother going to do all the side quests and stuff. But I think attaching them to the characters and giving them that that context made them more valuable. I certainly didn't expect it, which was welcome, because they had similar quests like this in 16. Mm-hmm. But it felt like you were just, I don't know, going to kill something and then just having a cutscene, and then you go on to do the next thing. I completely agree. Like, I really I really enjoy the extra characterization. I think there were some really lovely moments in there, some really lovely script pieces in there um, that just add to the characterization. And I like that they are more explicit, because, again, if you played the original, you know there's a date scene coming, and it's always been a little bit kind of in the background of what's really going on there. And I sort of appreciate that they've just made that more explicit and more upfront of this is how you're going to get the date you want, which maybe gamifies it a bit. But I think it's that idea again of, well, they're playing with expectations of we know you know what's going to happen, so we're going to give you a way to gamify it if you want. Um, But more more than anything, like I said, it was just characterization, and I really enjoyed that. Yeah, my my only element of it that I was, as, as a mechanic, that I slightly question is, because they tie it to the date stuff and people know about the date stuff, do you end up in a weird situation where you sort of discourage people from completing some quite good side quests? <laughs> because they're like, well, I don't want to do the Aerith quests because I don't want affection points for Aerith. I want, I want to date Tifa or mm. whatever. Um, so that, that, element, anyway. that element of it, I'm a little bit like, ooh. And maybe we're talking about this before, if the menus were a little bit clearer in the sense that there is a menu which absolutely tells you more outright where you stand with everyone but they don't surface that until you finish the game yeah because what happens if you max out all the quests anyway and you get to that date sequence can you pick like Uh, is it no but a a roll of the dice i think there are we don't know how it works right but my theory is there are certain events that are baked into the main story that sort of act as a tiebreaker yes Um, okay so, yeah, and I think if it's anything like the original game, it's basically, it's going to be Aerith or Tifa, but then if you want one of the, one of the other ones, you've really got to work at it. Like, you need a guide and you have to follow very strict dialogue options if you want mm-hmm. Barrett or, or, uh, or, or Yuffie in the original game. Um, so I imagine that's going to be the same here. I'm sure people, this will be the interest of him. Once Reddit gets his hands on that and people mess about with saved games and go back and forth, it'll, it'll, really i think synergy is also part of it because if you use a synergy with characters it gives you a boost so it's also about who you've had in your party the most which is probably why i got 13 the impression i got was that it was only the first time you use a synergy move i think so yeah yeah i guess you you could avoid which one you unlock yeah you could avoid using synergy with Aerith, but 
I feel like you're likely to probably use each synergy move at least, if nothing else, to see the animation because the animation. Yeah, cool. that's what I did. Um, how did you like that mechanic? I forgot synergy it existed skill. a lot of the time. <laughs> well, the main synergy skills, which are essentially limit breaks in a way, like you build up those gauges and you deal loads of damage. But when you, you can press the shoulder button and there's a few on the face buttons you can use, I kept forgetting those were a thing. Like I kept mm-hmm. having to remind myself. And they didn't have as big an impact on combat as I thought they would, or I was just struggling way more than I needed to for no reason. But yeah, I thought it was cool. One thing I loved most about it is in Remake, it felt like if you kept Cloud buffed up enough, you could just rely on him. Mm -hmm. But I feel like Synergy, especially with the way that each character needs to have their gauges built up to execute these attacks, it encourages, encourages you to switch between them all the time, which I really appreciated, especially having new party members that you wanted to experiment with. It was a cool incentive. The strange decision, and I'd love to know if you have any insight on this, Donaldson, why we're doing Ubisoft Towers and 2024's Final Fantasy VII Rebirth. I mean, I don't think there's any major insight other than to say that I think Square has an approach where they look at what other people are doing a lot, but I think these games take so long to make that inevitably by the time you've delivered it, um, the world has moved on a little bit. Um, Mm. I think it's okay, though. But I did sort of, when I was writing my review, I wrote it out. I was like, I want to write this out and see how it feels. And I think this is interesting context. People listening to the podcast who don't have the game yet. So the game basically has six open world zones. All of those zones have one town. One of the zones has two. Um, And basically within each of those zones, there is the following. There's between four and six towers that you climb and activate. This reveals activities on the map, but if you find the activities, stumble across them on your own, you can still do them. You don't have to light light up the towers. There's between four and six combat assignments, so they're just like a set combat scenario. I think these are really fun. Um, They've all got optional objectives that you can beat to beat them in a specific way, so they might ask you to poison an enemy or... Usually it's just to stagger and pressure, though, which I feel like they could have done a bit more with that, but I still really enjoy... Yeah, that, this is where it starts to get a bit in now for me. There's three summon crystals. Oh, they suck. I don't like completing them. those. <laughs> um, completing those makes you summon either easier to unlock or more powerful. There's three per zone. There's one summon allocated to each zone, and they're all Simon Says puzzles. So it shows you a bunch of face buttons to press, circle X, circle X, whatever, in a certain timing, and you have to repeat it back. That's obviously the puzzles are just slightly different every time. The buttons you're pressing, but the thing you do is the same every time. There's four life springs in each zone. So these are like deposits of live stream energy that you have to scan. This scanning mini game, for some reason, is exactly the same QTE every single time. Don't quite know what that was about, what they were thinking there. You could have at least <laughs> made the buttons <laughs> triangle three times. Are you good? Yep. Uh, yep. Doing those unlocks one or two, depending on the zone. Uh, treasure dig sites where it's basically Chocobo hot and cold from Final Fantasy 9 but made it a little bit easier so you get on your Chocobo, you ride to this site you have your Chocobo sniff and it marks a point on the ground you dig and that unlocks new um, ingredients for your crafting which is fairly inconsequential you can totally get through the game without ever touching that Mm -hmm. system if you want but it's there if you want to get potions for cheap there's four phenomenon intel that's part of one mission strand that wraps up in the end game. Now, this one's good because this one's unique for each zone. So in Junon, the four phenomenon missions are Fort Condor battles, which is a tweaked version of the minigame that was in the remake DLC. Uh, in the Cosmo Canyon area, it's a completely different minigame. 
and these are quite in-depth like you know you think about how Fort Condor is like this quite fully featured strategy game so you imagine there's in each zone there's one of those immediately in the first zone it's four battles with a bit of story attached but the others are all quite unique um, and then there's a mini game to unlock your chocobo, which is usually stealth, where you sneak up on and get on the back and break the chocobo. I was absolutely awful at those. Those were controller breaking for me. I have no idea why I was so bad at them because it's like fucking baby's first stealth game a lot of the time. But I just could not yeah, hack they, it. They, I found them okay, but I think they are um, they are the sort of thing that's going to frustrate some people, and it's quite a major thing that's locked behind it. Um, and then there's the card yeah. game challenges. So each region has a handful, anywhere between like two and seven or eight card game players to beat um it's not like final fantasy 8 where you can go up and or 9 where you can go and challenge anyone there's set npcs in each area with set decks and you beat them all and it sort of brings that card storyline to a conclusion um, and then there's your side quest which you talked about earlier so there's up there's up to five in any given area and each one um maps to a particular character in your party and so that's the open world stuff and so in my opinion that ranges from the combat stuff's good because the combat's really good, so just more of that specific challenges. Love that. The phenomena, the phenomenon Intel stuff is a bit frustrating. Some of those harder challenges, mm, I feel like they're pushing their luck a bit. But it's it's good content. Um, but the live springs and the summon crystals, like, I, it's very fluffy. It's very like. I mean, here's the thing. Whenever I came across that stuff, I just did it because it takes so little time that it's like inconsequential. But if you were to go at the end, as I now plan to do, because I'd like the platinum on this one too, to, to match my other ones, and do everything, like, it is just mindless repetition. And, yeah, I suppose there is enough consequential side missions per area where you could do it. Like, you play a bit of Queen's Blood, you do, like, a good side mission, or you grab a life spring, you do that kind of thing. That's, like, ideally the loop. But if you were just to do the kind of the fluffy stuff over and over again, it would get maddening. Um... Ed, did you engage with a lot of that stuff, like per region, or were you more mainlining? What was your kind of experience with that stuff? I think I did a vast majority of it in the first few regions. Like, I developed like a fascination with doing everything to hear more dialogue and doing all the side quests. <laughs> but I think yeah. the further I got in the story, the more I realized that aside from like the regional phenomena, they were all the open world stuff that's the life springs are going to unlock, like a transmuter ship to dig up or a, or a boss battle. And, and so on. So I'm like you where I want to go back and do that stuff because I want the platinum and exploring this world is fun. Mm -hmm. But it is very like 2013 Ubisoft kind of deal. But I don't think it's as excessive as that because when you ding a tower, you're never going to reveal like more than four things at once, Mm -hmm. which is quite digestible. It's like, oh, it would take me 20 minutes to clear all of these. Might as well. So, And then the side quests that accompany that in each region are are normally worth doing i don't think it outstays its welcome at all which is the biggest fear i had i thought they were going to go down the direction of this just being filled with bloaty filler and there is bloaty filler in this game don't get me wrong but with a lot of the side stuff i was like okay i can take or leave this and it's fun and the main narrative stuff is otherwise yeah. quite excellent and the combat's excellent so it became much easier to deal with yeah i i tend to agree i always wonder if this is a um if this is a symptom of the way we have to play these oh, games for work like yeah. they become so, they become so all-consuming and stuff like that especially in this situation where some of us had more time than others um to play through this like ridiculously long thing um ed beyond when 
you like me had to race to the end were you doing a lot of this side stuff like as it came up or were you more focused on other things yeah so the first area the grasslands i did absolutely everything partly just because i wanted to see what was available um but i was intrigued by it and i am definitely a sort of completionist by nature so when i get to a new area and i see all the icons i'm like i have to do them and some of them as we said are kind of a bit fluffy but I didn't mind doing that. I felt that the rewards ultimately were kind of worth it. I enjoyed finding out more about the world. I enjoyed having an easier time with the summons. Um, I mm-hmm. sort of enjoyed having new items to to create. So I feel like all of these, there are lots of different systems and ideas, but they do so ultimately many, kind yeah. of link together. Um, so I didn't mind that. Um, as time went on, I did less and less of it. And as you said, I think that for me was just a symptom of this being a review and we have to get through it. And ultimately seeing the story was more important to me than seeing a a summon or, you know, whatever else was, was there. Um, as, as Alex said, I sort of appreciated that there were different things in each region. Um, the sort of that, that specific proto relic side quest, um, I like that they, they change things up. They mix things up. They have so many ideas. It feels a bit overly stuffed. Um, and I think that for me, it took away from the main, the urgency of the main story a little bit. Um, I think there are some, some pacing issues in that Mm -hmm. they've given this huge world to explore and that's really exciting for fans who are like, great, I get to, you know, not just see a flat green texture, but I can see this entire world and explore it. And that's really exciting for fans, but I feel like the story doesn't progress enough that more of my time was spent doing side content than the main story. And I'm just not convinced that the balance was quite Yeah, there's, right a, there's there. a specifically hilarious yeah. bit where um, you go back to a region you were previously in via a new method of transport, let's say, that was altered from how it was originally introduced um, in the game. <laughs> and that method of transport is how you get to the end game bit. But like just before that, you land back in this area and it's like, do you want to go on this like multi-part like whimsical adventure that we're just going to introduce here we're good yeah oh, and i, was I like, know the one this is mean, like yeah this is this game in like microcosm it's like these episodes of an anime where they're going on holiday and they're going to the beach and they're like it's those yeah it those is interstitial mm. episodes and then in the back of the mind cloud every so often's going you know sethroff's gonna like end the world can we like go on with this can we go and go on with this the now like the black material, yeah, mate. They like, need to get on I did it. Ten more rounds of Queen's Blood, which I did love. To and, be fair. and that section you're talking about is sort of—it's uh, guilty of that thing I was saying earlier as well of bringing back people for yeah. the sake of seeing them again. Um, I mean, I 100%ed everything as I went, uh, which was pretty, which was fine for the first three areas. Um, it got pretty brutal from for area four and five. I felt. Um, I think it's, like I say, I don't mind the towers. They're painless enough. Um, the combat assignments, the combat is the best thing about this game. A lot of this stuff unlocks new stuff in the combat simulator as well, which I think is excellent. Like if you're, I'm an RPG systems nerd. So if you want to get into that nuts and bolts, I'm really looking forward to playing hard mode because I really feel like that was where Final Fantasy VII mm. Remake lived, was in hard mode. Yeah, you, you do. unlock hard yeah. at the end. Okay. Yeah, it's the same. It is the same structure as remake so hard mode has more or less the same parameters as remake if anyone's curious but um but yeah i did burn out um, but i think actually most of my burnout because like you say a lot of those 
summon crystals, it takes a minute. You know what I mean? It's frustrating that it's the same every time. It's fine for the save the live springs. But actually, where I got frustrated was not the content. It was Gungaga in particular, I think, is... I, 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 I'm not joking when I say this. I think it's one of the single worst uh, navigation-wise open-world mm. areas in any AAA world <laughs> game I've ever played. It's jarring because you go from the vastness of coral to this like dense, almost maze-like jungle. It's it's a but real whiplash when you go uh, there. And it's the fact that so every area has a mechanic, um, and in Gungaga, it's bouncing off mushrooms to reach higher places and stuff like that. But weirdly, the mushrooms aren't marked on the map, whereas the glide points in Cosmo Canyon and the zip lines mm. in Coral are. So there's that weird thing of they marked those, the traversal thing on two others, but not on Gungaga. And it's not clear where each mushroom leads until you get on it. And then the mushrooms send you quite fast. And if you want to go back on yourself, you've got to loop back around. And sometimes you can get lost when you're looping back around. And... That was where I got frustrated. I actually took a day off the game because I was just really annoyed because there were icons on my map that I wanted to clear before I moved on, which, to be fair, is on me. It's absolutely on me. But I couldn't figure out how to get to them because it's all verticality and it's all based on the mushrooms. And it's like, okay, I'm standing on top of this icon, but it's clearly actually above or below me. And there's no clear... And it's like, you know, the stupid bloody yellow paint <laughs> yeah this is a game oh, that's not everywhere this is yeah but this is my point this is a game that has the yellow paint because it thinks people can't be trusted to find the ledges going up which i think is a i do think the yellow paint's a good idea because not everyone no, has played a million video games this is a game that has the yellow paint but then it has this where you can literally spend 45 minutes like completely lost uh trying yeah. to find one thing even even when it asks you to uh it asks you to go from the village of Gungaga at one point to the reactor. That's a, <laughs> like the, that's the, a slog. King. <laughs> there's a set route you're supposed to take, and I and that route is really quick, but I did not find that route the first time. And so ironically, it's sort of playing that pumped-up hurry-up music, which actually on the original soundtrack of the original Final Fantasy VII is called Hurry, and you can't hurry because you're bouncing off mushrooms. You're like, how the hell do I get to where I'm supposed to be going? And so that burned me out a little bit. Um, I do think I plan to say, I haven't written my review yet, but I plan to say in my review, I think you could probably lock 25% of the stuff out, the open world stuff. And I think you would actually have a better, slightly more balanced mm. game for it. And I think it would eliminate some of the pacing stuff that you talked about, Ed, where you just start, started not doing everything. Imagine being me. And I remember I wrote in my notes that uh, when I got to the gold source, I'm looking at my notes now. Um, yeah, that the PS5 OS estimate was that I was uh, I was 50% in exactly when I arrived at the Gold Saucer. Um, and that, for me, was 26 hours in. And keep in mind, I'd 100%ed every region up to that point. And by the time I was like 66% in, uh, it was all my, my game clock was over 50 yeah. hours, which I think speaks to... <laughs> speaks to uh the, the 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 imbalance in the in the story to the to the side stuff and i think so i think they could have locked some some of it out uh, but i don't think any of it's offensive and it's certainly not ubisoft icon no def- definitely not i'm sandra and i'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use linkedin jobs linkedin has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. 
So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Um, yeah, it's, it's weird because my, when my, my partner was watching it, she was like, I, I would love to play a version of this where none of that open world, you could just turn off all that open world stuff and you could just go from like the really high quality, full of CGI, mission to mission to mission to mission kind of stuff. And I think, like, I get where uh, they're coming from, especially because the, like, visually this game is, like, <laughs> it's, it's total peaks and valleys, because occasionally I'll look at it and look at a texture or look at a weird face and stuff like that, and I'll be like, this doesn't look great. And then some of the, like, the, the big expensive CG stuff, it's like, oh my god, this is absolutely incredible. Like, the visuals are ridiculous. So it's it's kind of all over the place with that. But, um yeah from a from a from a from a narrative perspective if someone was to say to me what is the story of final fantasy 7 rebirth i feel like i would talk about the start and then the rest of the time i would be talking about the last two hours of the game because you can you could yeah it's a road like, trip baby the bits <laughs> in the middle are just do you want to hang about with Aerith and tifa and and bloody kate seth and his scottish accent which um it's a, it's a real Scottish person, so po- points on the board there. Um, yes, I feel like we're not down on it, but um, we we keep seeing it's an excellent game. I, but I think it's like, funny... let's let Alex give give it. Yeah, we, we can't give talk us about the good story. This is this is one of those. This is this is one of those games though where I think I don't know. We'll see, don't know, see how you guys get on. I feel when I write my review, it will be an extremely difficult review to get balanced because I am overwhelmingly positive on this game. But mm. the stuff that I'm really positive on is just sort of can be summed up in, yeah, the combat slaps. The soundtrack is one of the best soundtracks ever God. in video games. Oh, there's that. Um, the no character me. models are the character models are, in my opinion, some of the best in the industry. Yes, they're not as intricate as say Last of Us character models, but they are so expressive and so beautiful and such a wonderful uh, utilization of Tetsuya Nomura and uh, Roberto Ferrari's art styles. Um, and all that stuff is you can say <laughs> that in about five minutes. But all the stuff that there is to complain about the game, all the stuff that you actually really have to get into the nitty gritty of why that stuff is good, not great, or why that stuff is fundamentally flawed. And that takes time. Um, and I, I only feel, I feel like that only ever yeah. happens with good games. Like with bad games, it's quite easy to go, well, you know, the combat shit, whatever, whatever. Um, but here it's like, the combat's really good. However, when you compare it to Remake, something that I'm quite curious about, and I'm quite curious to see like the hardcore RPG fans engage with a little bit, is they've added so many systems in terms of the weapon upgrades and in terms of the... I can't even remember what that skill the tree folios. is called, but it looks like another Final Fantasy. The folios. It looks the like Crystarium and, and Spear Grid and all that stuff. It looks like that. Um, they've added so much and all that that I feel like they've massively degraded the utility and importance of Materia, which was sort of the central conceit of 
Final Fantasy VII's combat in all the games, even Crisis Core and before Crisis, up until this point. Um, because they even give you magic spells that you can use that don't cost MP and don't require materia. And yes, they're extremely weak, but when you've got an enemy where they get pressured when you use a fire attack, it now no longer matters if you've got a fire materia equipped or not, because you can still do that, which on one hand, it's like, oh, is that good because it's a bit more frictionless and you're not going to die in a battle and go, oh, I've got to go away and equip you know, fire materia? Or is it actually becoming a bit reductive where that was potentially a good thing because it made you engage with the RPG systems and it made you change your material loadouts often. I did not really, unless I got something new that was exciting, I wasn't really changing my material loadouts in this I game. I don't think I ever all. changed mine. It I was the stuff I in... used the least, especially with the synergy stuff. Yeah, the, the, the main yeah. thing that I... And, and that doesn't the main kill time the I combat. It was, there was a specific fight that I came in kind of underleveled for, but I realised it was uh, weak to thunder. And I gave uh, Aerith the bit of materia that automatically raises the linked materia one level. So she had the top level uh, thunder spell. Yes. And then it just compl- it completely broke the fight because I was just putting her in a ward, sending that thunder spell, and the the line was going, woo! So it's... Yeah. It's... <laughs> yeah, I mean, it doesn't kill the combat, like I say. I think the combat's still really good. But I think it's... In fact, the combat's still excellent probably the best combat in the entire Final Fantasy series. But that mm. stuff is interesting. And that stuff's the stuff where I'm like, I'm not 100% on if this is a massive step above Remake. Um, but Because it's sort of better in some ways. In some ways, I think it's a bit more compromised. Um, but it is really, 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 really good. But I, like I say, I, I don't know, maybe you guys feel slightly differently, but I feel like it's just an easy game to talk about what yeah. wasn't right. Because the stuff that's right is so right, <laughs> discussion. Yeah, because yeah, that, that's totally it. And then you get into the point where you're talking to someone about it, and they're like, "Oh, so you didn't like it then?" I was like, "No," because like the highs are so like magnificently high here. Like the combat's incredible, the production values are, I don't know, second to none in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And like the open world stuff is relatively good. So when you get onto the bugbears, they can feel overbearing. But yeah, there's like a specific bet that I'll have to speak obliquely about at the end of the game that really was like it kind of decided my my review for me like they tease uh, a certain piece of music throughout the entire game and they don't go ham on it and you wait and you wait and you wait and they do like the most perfect fucking needle drop moment for this piece of music to start and I like felt myself like sitting up in my chair like getting fucking into it and I was like okay this is this is the stuff why for me as I've already written my review is like it's a five-star review for me where throughout the review, I'm like, that's a bit, that's a bit fluffy here. And that's, and then there's a little line that's like, the characters are fucking brilliant. I want to hang about with Aerith and Tifa for the rest of my life. Like, I'm, I would happily do another full game of this road trip stuff just for those bits. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, I'm cautious of the fact that when we complain about this stuff, there will be plenty of people that are just like, cool, that's, that's, that's fine, like expected kind of stuff. But these are the... It's kind of difficulty with reviewing a game that you feel so strongly about positively. You have to say this kind of stuff. Um, Ed, where, where do you think you're going to come down on it? You don't need to spoil your, your score or whatever if you've not decided yet, but where are you feeling on it? I, I haven't decided, and I'm, I'm still a bit up in the air. I mean, I think just to go back a step like, in terms of like what is positive, I think the negative side of things is some of the mechanical things that are yeah. quite easy to talk about. I think yeah. the good things about the game are tone and feeling. And for me, one of the things I love about this game oh, yeah. is how funny it is. 
I was mm-hmm. laughing throughout. There were so many good gags. I think that they've got these these iconic characters from this classic game that people people love, people know and love and have loved for years. And they're not afraid to make them look really stupid for the sakes <laughs> of a laugh and completely undermine them. And I love that. You know, they're not they're not too precious about it. Um I think there is so much humor in this game um that I I absolutely loved. I think they really nailed it. For me it's I I see the, the overarching story of Seven is quite emo and depressing as like the end of the world is coming and it's all muted colours and dour and everyone's sad about the end of the world. And then I'm just going to go off and play cards <laughs> and ride a giant chicken and speak to a talking animal. Like it's it's all over the place. And I love that they have really leaned into both of those things. I think there are some really emotional moments that are really sad, There are which are done incredibly well. I think there are some really funny moments. Um, I think there's a lot of joy in the game. There's a lot of joy in this world that I wasn't anticipating. Um, I've spent far too oh, long playing Queen's, Queen's Blood. Queen's Blood is so fucking oh, it's good. Great. Uh, so I think good. that could be a standalone so game. Good. I don't know no, why they don't do it. Like I don't know why they don't do a standalone package that is literally do a package that is a downloadable game, 40 bucks, and it's Triple Triad, Tetramaster, and Queen's Blood yeah. with online play. Like the yeah. Pokemon you, you can have that idea little... if you're listening. <laughs> I'd, I'd buy that. I'd, I'd absolutely buy that. I also, I really wanted to get into Chocobo Racing and then saw how vast it was and was like, I just don't have the time It's right like now. a Mario Kart clone, like the whole Literally, thing. it's the like, Chocobo really GP yeah. inside of Rebirth. Um, it's it's you know, better than Chocobo been... GP. That's it the is. mad thing. <laughs> yeah. They, I think, you know, the team have been so generous with what they've offered here in that they are really trying to give fans everything. And I think that is for better and worse. So yeah. I think it's kind of just, I'm still a bit up in the air about where I'm going to land because it's, I, I've still got the last section of the game in my mind, um, which is sort of what's making me reconsider things a little. I think what you just said for better and worse is like, it, it's like the tagline for a review of this game in a way. Um, well, you can have that, Alex. You are because it is. It is very much. I'm, you know, I genuinely might. But like, <laughs> it, it's it's because it is sort of like what you said about they're so determined to give fans what they want. The feeling I get about, and again, we're not doing spoilers, and we're not allowed to do spoilers anyway. But just to talk broadly about the story in the broadest of strokes, I think that they sort of want to do all things to please all people, and in a game design sense, in a mechanical sense, you can take a kitchen sink approach and in an approach to character development and stuff like that, you can find time for all these moments. It's like they give Aerith and Tifa so many great moments together um, because they know fans want that. And they're going to launch a thousand cosplays and, and fan arts with like them two uh, dressed up in disguise uh, for the June and stuff and all that sort of stuff. But the flip side of that is when it comes to the big component parts of the story, uh, can you satisfy everyone or do you end up in a situation where you please no one? You know what I mean? Mm. And so I think they sort of run aground on that, but you are so right about the tone and the mood. And sometimes they just make decisions that you just don't think about. Like, you know, I've been a fan of this game for years, uh, the original game and, and sort of, you know, have a sad encyclopedic knowledge of the characters, of this game and stuff like that. And yet I never really considered the narrative utility about Barrett and Yuffie and where they are and who they are as people. And the game slowly pairs those guys together quite often. And they, they sort of 
have this weird ribbing sort of little uh, Very, like, relationship. Very sibling dynamic almost. Where they, you know, or yeah, or an annoyed stepdad sort of thing. Yeah. But then you realise that actually they're two sides of the same coin where Barrett is gruff and rough because he's hurt and but there's sort of a teddy bear underneath. And Yuffie is sort of bubbly and lovely and excitable, but actually she's ripped to pieces underneath. And actually their pain has the same source right down to an individual person. And it's it's the moment that that clicked for me, I was just like, these characters are so, so fabulous. Or, you know, they, they pair Barrett and Red and they make sort of a point of Red's story is about fathers and sons and Barrett's story is about fathers and daughters and 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 they're, they're so so deft with it and when you talk see when when you get into that yeah. stuff i gush i'm not going yeah, it's yeah great, that's, but... that's the stuff that's hard to <laughs> you can't put that in a thousand words that's like multi-hour fucking video essays so yes i think um how long till the next one is it this console generation what, what are we thinking because well, I mean, you would think they've yeah. built a lot of it, right? Like, you, like I was thinking about this, and we get into the getting into the weeds on it now. But like, if you think about the world of Final Fantasy VII, and you think about the structure of this game now, what what open zones do you have left? You have Midil in the area around Midil. You've got Rocket Town in the area around Rocket Town. Like Northern you've Crater. Got, you've got Wutai. Yeah. And you've got, well, I would say the Northern Crater would probably be a dungeon, but you've got Icicle yeah. in and the area around there, which actually leads up towards the Northern Crater. So if you're doing that, that's four new open zones. So presumably for the next game, you do four new open zones and you do the existing six plus Midgar in a meteor above, you know, configuration. And a bunch of new events and that's your game, right? So you would think <laughs> that they could turn this one around a wee bit quicker. And certainly even this was quick. You look at the size of the game and the fact that this has been four years, um, it's yeah. kind of bonkers. Um, so I think they could probably do it for 2027. Yeah. I think. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I would they... love for it to be sooner. Like, like say, I think remake set up a lot of the combat and the characterization and the visual style, all that sort of stuff. This one has set up the, uh, the open world, so the third game is kind of just a victory lap of, and and that's kind of what the third act of the original game is anyway. It's sort of just, oh, I'll just do a victory lap and go back to all the places and get all the things. And yeah, just throw that in there. I feel like that's the thing though, right? Like actually, when you think about the first, the, 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 the first game, the original game, I think you can't necessarily remake what remains of the story in as point to point to point away as they did here, I think they're going to have to come up with quite a lot of new events. Yeah. Because the the last third of the first game is sort of just... It's, it's You can tell that they were rushing to finish that game, basically. It's one of the best games of all time, but you can still tell that. Like, it doesn't even have the, uh, the, the PS1... The other PS1 FFs have truly epic Final Dungeons. Final Fantasy VIII got the best Final Dungeon in RPG history, I would say. Um... Seven doesn't really have that. It is sort of go to Fort Condor, have a fight, get a big materia. Go here, have a fight, get a big materia. Go here, have a fight, get a big materia. Stand on a stand on a shore and have a weapon fight. Yeah, you know it's very very quick. Especially um, when they take 
later events from that final act and incorporate them into this. Exactly. Game. Which I guess is why they've pushed Wutai off to that as well, because yeah. they're, they're setting up all this Wutai War stuff a lot in this game. They're talking about yeah. it a lot. And you would think Wutai maybe even makes up 20 yeah. hours of the next game, probably. Yeah, they're going to make that much so. bigger. Wutai clan eat nothing that. to fuck with, as they say. Um, there's an excellent uh, reference to one of the mini games that is likely going to be in three and uh, the Golden Saucer. If you go and look for it, there's a little conversation that made me chuckle my head off about. Uh, oh well, I suppose I can't remember if I made up them saying that this wasn't going to be in this game. But I'm going to I'm going to wave here. So if I need to cut this out, I do. Is it known that there's no snowboarding in this? Has that been previously said? Well, no, because they said uh, anyone anyone who knows the story will know that because they have been absolutely clear in all the marketing that just like they were in the first game, which was like the game leads up to the escape from Midgar. And they've said very clearly it's on the bottom of every single press release. The game uh, concludes at the forgotten capital and the snowboarding is the thing is basically the next thing that happens. Um, which is weird because that means that's going to happen extremely early. <laughs> they're going to be shredding. <laughs> Why um, you're grieving? But it is cute that they have it because obviously the snowboarding is a mini game that you can that you do and you can play in the gold saucer. Uh, but but you, but it you, you it only unlocks in the gold saucer after you do it for real. And it's quite cute, yes, that they have the snowboarding yeah. in the correct place, complete with what could very well be a screenshot of <laughs> of work in progress because there is literally a <laughs> screenshot of uh of, of uh Kate Sif Moogle doing snowboarding and it's like under construction yes like yes yeah we'll be back there's, next there's, game. there's still a lot of people standing there <laughs> it's a bit like there's no chocobo breeding either right that's mm, that's another yeah. big one so, so, yes you've just got yeah, the racing instead um, there's two people standing outside yeah. that being like do you hear what they're going to put in there next it's going to be snow oh, i'll let you hear that next time it's like oh there's a fucking there's a fucking confidence to these games, man. They they know what they're doing. Like, uh, so how long is this third game going to be? Two hundred hours to complete, something like that. If we're just exponentially expanding, how long these games are going to be? I think the next one. Will be shorter. I... I don't know. Well, I think I think I think we'll see. I don't know. Like you know, four critics talking here, but I feel like the feedback will probably come in that it that it's a bit yeah. much this time, and they will react accordingly, and maybe. Maybe they will lop out that twenty to twenty-five percent that I was complaining about. <laughs> <laughs> but so I can, I can see it being a wee bit shorter. Um, but you know, I think I'm excited for the next game because, sort of, like I say, they have literally, I would say, done every single major beat um, that people really talk about and remember from the first game. Yeah, is done now. I guess there's there's the actual high wind itself and there's the submarine, but I don't feel like you're you're getting down the tier list of what people think about Final Fantasy VII. Um, yeah, as soon as it was finished, even though I think I think this one's a bit over long, as soon as it was finished, I was like, I would play the third one right now with like these exact same mechanics. Like it doesn't need to look uh, any better. Like we're we're kind of ready to go there. Um, but yes, you can check out all of our reviews across the various websites. I'm doing VG247. I expect Josh, who's reviewing it on RPG, uh, he's so far was 130 hours. That guy oh did, did it real and did it raw. So I expect his review will be very good uh, too. But yeah, I'll be on I'll be on VG247 and I've written, I don't know, half of it so <laughs> far. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a hard... This is one of those reviews that's a hard slog, like I said, because it's about that balance thing because you want to tell people this is a good video game and this is worth your time. <laughs> 
while also making so also clear, <laughs> well, while also make it clear that there's a lot of it that that's that's well flawed. In that sense, it is very similar to sixteen, actually. Yeah. Um, I just think it's way more confident and way more accomplished at the things it's trying to do well. I I tend to agree, Jade. Over on the gamer, you written up yet? You you finalised those 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 views? So I'm in the final stretch now. Like I think, like Alex said, I've got like four hours left, maybe getting Something through like those that. last two chapters. So I'm formulating my thoughts, and I'm going to settle on a score probably yeah. tomorrow. I can't wait until you play those largely very. Positive. I can't wait until you play those last four hours and then message me being like, "Can I record an addendum to your podcast?" What it is? <laughs> I absolutely. Jeez, like, I, think. Well, I think a spoiler cast. A spoiler cast a spoiler is a whole other be thing because the, the, there yeah. is so much to discuss, and as a law goblin. Um, from little things that they change that have quite big implications for the next game to big stuff that happens that sort of, you know... Yeah, there's, like, there's, oh, there's, a lot. there's so many unknowns, but also so many exciting things to look forward to in that third game that we've had to talk around constantly in this yeah. podcast. Well, well, a good example, right? In this game, I know you're trying to wrap up Jordan. I've no, it's fine. Go as long as you want. Um, obviously the end of the last game we have the whispers and all that sort of stuff and something I hadn't really thought about until we got there in this game is in the original Final Fantasy VII Bugenhagen is a, is a is an absolutely undisputed font of knowledge um, and you listen to everything he says and he's a really key uh, law filler in a dropper and you, I actually realised within the first scene of meeting him I was like oh yeah we actually know more than him now He's a bit like, of a boomer. We, the players, and the party, like, his role is pretty irrelevant. He's just an old git who doesn't actually understand. Mm. Um, and there's a whole yeah. thing, actually, right, where they actually even try to sort of talk about that stuff a little bit, and he's just like, you're just talking nonsense. Yeah. He's uh, like, um, oh, you just don't understand the, the ways. And it's like, well, do. And that was we, one we thing it. from the first game, but I feel like this game introduces a lot more little things like that, that in game three are really going to wrap around the existing narrative. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, a, <laughs> it's not a spoiler, but there's a specific bit in that section where, like, Aerith's pouring her heart out and you have, like, a an option, like, a dialogue option and I fucking press the wrong one and Cloud is just a complete dick to her in the middle of this speech. Oh, no. I, like, I, oh, no. I was like, oh, like a oh, giant oh. idiot. I was <laughs> like, smile. Small, small little video game nitpick, by the way, just in general, not just about this game. But if you're going to have a timer on dialogue options, right, you're going to have a timer that counts down. If you don't actively select something from that dialogue option, it should be that that means you say nothing. Yeah, I agree. It Don't shouldn't be it timed out and it selects whichever one you're currently highlighting. That's BS. Either alpha protocol it or don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ed, your review up on Eurogamer. Um, you, you written it yet? You feeling, you feeling ready to go? Are you, going, are you going to play more before you get back to writing it or what's the plan? I have written a lot of notes. Um, I have a vague structure. Um, it will be it will be written very soon, uh, and at the end of that, I will decide where I feel in terms of numbers. Um, yeah, it's, it's still a shooter I... gamer, so like a two out of five, three out of five, something like that. Oh. <laughs> I couldn't possibly <laughs> say. <laughs> you didn't give me the score, Grilling. I feel like mine is obvious, though. Really. Oh yeah, you're, it's Final Fantasy, so it's a guaranteed five from you. Anyway, we are going to head off, and uh, I need to 
go and uh, record my voiceover for this and track down the actor that played Kate Seth and asks if he wants to be on the podcast. Until <laughs> the next one, you can check us all out on BG247 and RPG site for Alex, Eurogamer for Ed, and The Gamer for Jade. Thank you for joining us on another review cast for VGC, the video game podcast. Your usual episode will be out on Thursday, but until then, say goodbye, Alex. Bye-bye. Say goodbye, Jade. Bye, everyone. Enjoy Final Fantasy. Or not, we'll see. (laughs) We'll see. (laughs) Say goodbye, Ed. Bye, Ed. And we'll see you next time. VGC, a video games podcast, is a stack production and part of the ACAST Creator Network. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. This is Roundabout Season 2, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas, you will be timed. (laughs) (laughs) You will be right. Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have like, you know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. (laughs) This was like wilderness. A lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, (laughs) you, you were different. Like you were real different, bro. I can't really put my finger on it. And so much more. Just goes to show that unexpected things sometimes are the best when it comes to a road trip. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now with new episodes rolling out every Thursday. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.